most valuable commodity I know of is information. Wouldn't you agree? Wouldn't you agree? I got five dollars. This is a run to the left. How many tackles can one man break? <laughs> You're saying that humans need fantasy to make life bearable. Humans need fantasy to be human. Ooh, my goodness, that was good. You guys are pros. The bats. Relentless, refusing to give up. All right, hit that horn, babe. Let's dance. And welcome to another edition of the Fantasy Flex Podcast. I am your host, Chris Raybon, joined as always by Sean Kerner. And today we have a special guest returning to the show for a second time in, I think, as many weeks almost, Samantha Praviti of the Action Network. We're going to talk sleepers with her in just a second. Just want to remind you guys that this is the all-new Fantasy Flex podcast feed. So if you haven't subscribed yet, please do click that follow button or that subscribe button, whatever you need to do to get all this good stuff all season long. Samantha, what's going on? I heard you uh, were doing some hiking. Yeah, so, so much hiking. I love that that's become like part of my social media persona now because it's very funny. I'm like not a very outdoorsy person, but I'm leaning into it, trying to trying to do more, trying to be less of a, I guess, a city person. I moved from New York. So uh, the most hiking I was doing was like in Central Park or hiking from Target with like a bunch of bags. <laughs> oh, man, you got to do that. Just Uber, man. <laughs> 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 take the subway something i'm that uh, person where like the bags were breaking on the sidewalk i'm having like a mental breakdown it's oh, another day in new york so yeah i don't, I don't miss it i don't miss it <laughs> sean what's going on man i haven't been hiking and so i've been sweating uh preseason player props so i'll get over here looking forward to seeing trey lance in person with you this sunday oh, yeah. uh, we will be attending the chargers niners game i'm hoping lance will play about a half this week. I don't think we'll see Justin Herbert, unfortunately, but excited to see Trey Lance in person. Yeah, I thought uh, the rookie quarterbacks had pretty good, you know, opening preseason yep. debuts, you know, so uh, excited to see see him play some more. And Herbert, yeah, I think he's already been ruled out, but uh, we're going to talk some sleepers in this episode. So, you know, for everybody listening, these are the guys that have upside that are not really thought of as fantasy starters, not really being drafted as fantasy starters, but the guys that as you start to fill out your starting lineup, these guys can really give you an edge. Not all of them will hit. We, we already know that, but we're hoping uh, enough of them can hit and the ones that do hit give you a massive edge. So um, that's what we'll, we'll be talking about. Uh, and let's start it right off with quarterbacks. Samantha, who are or is or are some quarterbacks that are currently being drafted outside the top 12 that you like to finish perhaps in that top 12, top 10 by the time the season's over? Yeah, of the guys currently consensus ranked on fantasy pros outside of the top 12, I think Matt Ryan has the clearest path to finish inside the top 12. He finished as QB 13 in 2020 through 16 weeks. Yes, he lost Julio Jones this offseason, but gained Kyle Pitts, who I am convinced Atlanta will utilize as a receiver and will be an awesome red zone target for Ryan. I also predict the team will be in a number of negative game scripts. Again, they gave up the most passing yards per game in the NFL last year which will lend itself to a lot of passing attempts from Ryan. So I really like him and I've seen him fall super, super late in a lot of drafts. He's just like become this weird, unsexy name. And I'm like, I'll take it, especially since I've been getting Kyle Pitts. So I kind of like that stack. That Matt Ryan, I mean, he kind of has, 
he's up and down. Like sometimes he is that unsexy guy, but then he'll just come out of nowhere, like a QB four finish or something. So uh, he's an interesting one. Sean, how about you? Um, so, I mean, Trey Lance probably isn't a sleeper anymore, um, but he's still being drafted in the QB 17 to 20 range. And I think he's a sleeper in the sense of, you know, he he's part of my league winning strategy. If I punt at quarterback, um, you know, I, I usually take Trey Lance in the very later rounds with attention of stashing him, um, you know, for the first several games, he's not going to kill you on your bench. Usually the first few weeks, um, it's very easy uh, to, to stash guys on your bench. So once he does take over for starting quarterback, I mean, we already saw this. He has QB1 upside. Um, I, I think, you know, especially when it comes to the fancy playoffs, he has the easiest schedule. They face the Falcons, Titans, and Texans. Um, so I, I'm drafting him with the goal of winning, winning my fancy football league, and that should be yours too. Um, now, for two QB leagues, he does carry some risk because we don't really know when he's going to start. So in a two QB league or super flex format, I mean, you are inheriting some risk that he might not start a game at all this year. But if you're a one QB league, it makes so much sense to draft him super late um, and stash him on your bench and just stream quarterback in the meantime until he's ready to go. And then he'll be a QB one. Yeah, they're going to have a Trey Lance package, even if he's not starting. So he might not give you straight up zeros, even if you're in like a best ball league or something. Mm -hmm. It could be like that Taysom Hill, you know, where he's still out there yeah. for a few snaps here and there. So uh, I like Trey Lance a lot. I also like Justin Fields for the same reasons. I think he starts sooner than later in Chicago. I know they're talking up Andy Dalton, but you just look at Chicago and what they're going to face this year. Uh, I think the athletic has them as facing the toughest slate of quarterback schedule, which means they're going to be in some shootouts. And I just don't think you want to do that with Andy Dalton. I think Fields is going to take over. He's going to give you rushing upside. Uh, and that's really what you're looking for in this, you know, outside this top 12. I mean, the top 10, I think, is pretty set. And then it starts to just it becomes a game of like which pocket passer do you like, really? And then, um, you know, with a few young guys mixed in there. So I, I really like Justin Fields. And then Joe Burrow is still going just outside the top 12 in, in most leagues around number 13. I think he has a lot of upside. I know people are worried about the offensive line, but this is a team that's been near the top of the league in pass attempts every year. Uh, and, and I expect that to continue. So uh, Joe Burrow got his college buddy, Jamar Chase. I mean, this could really be a, you know, high volume uh, season for Joe Burrow. Like it was last year, he'll be improved. I think efficiency wise, he won't have to throw it at AJ Green, who he was just miserably inefficient to, you know, there's no COVID, uh, you know, limiting the entire off season for him, even though he did, he, he is coming back off the injury. I still think He'll be a smarter quarterback. He'll have better feel. So I think he could really explode this year uh, as well. And he gives you a little bit on the ground as well. So um, that's another guy that I think he could be in, in every week uh, QB one that you could still get outside that uh, that top 12. All right, let's move on to a little deeper here. A little, little maybe two QB action going on. You know, you're, a best, you're in a best ball league. You need that second, maybe even that third quarterback, Samantha, who are you looking at way, way outside the, uh, the the top 20? Yeah, yeah, way, way outside. This is almost like tinfoil hat stuff, but no. <laughs> um, uh, I'm, I like Jameis Winston at QB 31. He's currently the betting favorite to take the Saints' first snap at minus 185 odds. That's uh, approximately 65% probability. Uh, we've seen what Winston can do from a fantasy perspective. He finished as QB4 in 2019 in his last season as a starter in Tampa. He's got decent weapons in New Orleans, even without Michael Thomas for eight weeks. 
I think he could definitely be a viable starter in two QB leagues and could absolutely finish inside the top 24. Sean, how about you? Deep. I'm going with the other Saints QB. I I really think you can't go wrong with either as your QB three and like a best ball or like a, you know, a stash uh, for later. But, you know, Taysom Hill already showed that he has QB one upside last year and his four starts. He was a QB five. We love that rushing upside when it comes to fantasy football. And that's what he brings. Um, And, you know, it's, it's a pretty volatile situation. Winston, I think will get the week one start, but it's up in there after that. I mean, we know he's turnover prone and anything can happen. Um, so Taysom Hill could benefit off that chaos. And also, you know, without Michael Thomas, like they lack pass catching weapons. So I think like a guy like Taysom Hill might be needed uh, to put some life in this offense. So I wouldn't be surprised if Taysom Hill starts sooner than later. Um, so I love him as, you know, a QB three best ball kind of flyer, um, because when he does start, which could happen this year, he has QB one upside. Over under 0.5 touchdown passes from Jameis Winston to Taysom Hill this year. Oh, over. I'm taking over. <laughs> Easy. You going over to Samantha? Yes, definitely. Over. And that's a good point. You, you kind of mentioned it with Trey Lance. Like, um, even if Taysom Hill's not starting, he won't get you zeros because he does get carries, touchdowns, those sorts of things. So that's that's why I like him. He, he has a higher floor for these, you know, random QB3 flyers at the end, but he could also be starting before the year's over. Yeah, I like Taysom. I think if I had to choose between Taysom and and Jameis, I'd still go Taysom even with Jameis' favorite to start just because I think – I don't know if Jameis can play the way he played to give you that upside. Like, I just don't think Sean Payton is going for that. I think if he starts to launch the ball all over the field and, and you know, turn it over – I think Sean Payton is just going to go back to that, you know, conservative, run-heavy Taysom Hill option approach and and kind of win games that way. They still have a pretty good roster outside of, you know, the quarterback position and, and, you know, obviously the receivers are banged up. So I think it could actually benefit Taysom just from the way they kind of want to to win and stay in games uh, down the stretch, especially without Thomas. So uh, we'll see what happens. But, yeah, I, I like Taysom. I like Tyrod Taylor in houston he's another guy not really sexy but you just have to look at that rushing upside because so many quarterbacks are going to score within a couple of points of each other on a weekly basis there's not going to be that much separation but how you can get separation is if you get those you know six points on the ground for a rushing score you get you know some some of the yards that you would normally most guys are getting passing you're getting them on the ground you're getting more points obviously in fantasy so a guy like Tyrod Taylor is the presumed starter for the Houston Texans this year. Doesn't look like Deshaun Watson is going to be starting dealing with the legal issues. So, and he could be, you know, traded obviously too. So I think Tyrod Taylor is an interesting dart throw. Uh, does he start the whole year? Maybe, maybe not, but you only have Davis Mills behind him. I think they want to see a couple starts out of him, but I would still think, you know, Tyrod Taylor has the kind of leg up here to start, you know, 12, 13, 14 games for the Texans this year. So I, I like him. And, and of course, Zach Wilson, who I just think uh, is just a talented rookie and could surprise people. Um, he goes outside the, the top 20 in, in, in a bunch of drafts still. And I, I just think this Jets receiving core could be pretty good. It's pretty deep. Uh, it's just a whole new team. There's a lot of uncertainty there. This guy's got a lot of arm talent. It could be a bad team. I mean, they have really nothing at the cornerback position. So they can get in some shootouts too, even though they have a defensive minded head coach coming over and Robert Sally. So uh, like Zach Wilson, like Tyrod, like Taysom 
For some QB deep sleepers, let's go on to the running back position. Samantha, who are some guys, before we get into like the deep, deep guys, just somebody maybe in that, you know, RB3, RB4 range that that people who haven't been paying that much attention and just kind of getting back into things uh, now should know about. Yeah, I really like Gus Edwards, whose consensus ranked as RB40. He finishes RB35 through 16 weeks in half PPR last season, which with more competition in the Ravens' backfield from Mark Ingram. He's one of the highest-valued handcuffs, in my opinion, because he is one major injury away to J.K. Dobbins from having RB1 potential, but he also has that standalone value. He produced in that three-man backfield last year, scored six touchdowns, and I think he'll finish higher than his current ADP of RB41. Yeah, definitely. Gus Edwards is a guy who just gets swept on year after year, but the Ravens love him. And uh, yeah, there's no Mark Ingram to take carries this year. Justice Hill, I think he'll be more of a, a special teams guy, not really get carries unless somebody else gets hurt. So it'll be a two-man backfield this year, I think, for most of the year. So that's that's good news for Dobbins, but also for Gus Edwards. Sean, how about you? RB3, RB4 sleepers. Yeah, I love the Gus Edwards pick, and uh, I'm actually highlighting four backs in that range oh, um, that had that similar kind of like high floor ceiling combo. I mean, let's be real. Th- this is the range where their end of season value really does depend on their health and their teammates health. So it's kind of unpredictable in that sense, but Zach Moss, AJ Dillon, Gus Edwards, Latavius Murray, those four backs in this range, you know, they, they provide you a high floor where if you're in a pinch, you can start them in your flex. If you have like injury issues or bi-week issues, Um, but they all possess RB one RB two upside. If the starting running back or their running back by committee, counterpiece get injured so i love that profile they have they give you a ton of versatility and they're cheap you know they're all around the rb40 range we have a guy like tony pollard who he kind of needs zeke to get hurt to have value so that's why i think these four backs um are critical when it comes to like my running back draft strategy i love them all where they're going yeah aj Dillon is a guy that really stands out to me for kind of similar reasons as gus edwards you look at that backfield in green bay it's going to be a two-man backfield Jamal Williams was a guy who was getting anywhere from you know, 35 to 45% of the snaps on a weekly basis. You never really saw Aaron Jones go like 80, 90% in terms of the backfield chair, uh, if you know the floor could help it, you know, assuming guys weren't hurt. And so I think Dylan now is in position to take over uh, all, that entire Jamal Williams role because you want to keep Aaron Jones fresh, you know, for the the Green Bay is set up to make a deep postseason run and Aaron Jones is their guy you know he's the guy that they kind of run their red zone offense through at this point almost more so than their Rodgers and Adams so I think AJ Dillon is going to get a lot of work and he's one injury away from being a a straight up RB1 so I I like him uh, a lot I also mentioned Michael Carter of the Jets I know there'll be some other backs kind of work in there. Salas from that San Francisco, you know, committee backfield, but Carter's already been running with the ones for the entirety of camp. He's easily the most talented guy in that backfield. Uh, he He's good in the pass game uh, and he's good in the run game with his start stop ability. So I, I think he's, he separates himself from, from everybody else in that backfield. And I think his value is only going to increase 
as the season progresses and you get a little discount on Carter compared to a guy like Javante Williams, who uh, is already kind of being drafted a little closer to his ceiling now, uh, about five, 10 picks up in the running back range. So I like Michael Carter, like AJ Dillon uh, quite a bit. Let's pivot real quick because every year we see it's at least one, sometimes it's multiple guys that are just PPR monsters. They kind of come out of nowhere. It's, so I want to spend some time just talking about like, who do we think that J- JD McKissick 2020 JD McKissick is this year? Samantha, I'll start with you. Sure. Yeah. I, I don't know if this is an obvious pick, but I'm going to go with Naheem Hines at RB 43. He was third in catches last season among running backs and um, behind Alvin Kamara and JD McKissick. He caught 63 of 76 for 482 yards and four touchdowns, finished his RB 21 and half PPR and RB 16 and full PPR. I know it's looking like Carson Wentz is trending towards a week one return at this point, but it's not as though we thought this offense was going to be super pass friendly, no matter which Colts quarterback we saw. Um, which I think might work to Hines' advantage. I could see a lot of um, conservative sort of short passes to him and his workload staying the same year over year um, and easily returning an investment at his ADP, which is currently RB 46 and half PPR. Yeah, Naeem Hines gets slept on every year. It looked like they were phasing him out. I think that for his rookie year, he didn't play much in the postseason, but he's come on strong these last couple of years and uh, his role looks pretty solidified now. So I I like Naeem Hines quite a bit. Sean, what about you? Who's your PPR sleeper for this year? Well, this guy's not really a sleeper because he's kind of the poster child for a PPR kind of guy you draft, but he's still being slept on this year. Um, James White uh, is currently being drafted at RB 50 in PPR. Um, Now, granted, last year he was playing with Cam Newton, so he was – bit of a disappointment but you know this year I think if Mac Jones were to take over I think James White will benefit no more Rex Burkhead so I think he should dominate um you know the pass catching work out of the backfield here and then the one guy that I think um could be a sleeper this year is um Tom Brady's potentially new James White and that's Giovanni Bernard uh fantasy flex favorite um I, I think he's a sleeper in PPR because they don't really have that PPR type of back um, but now they have Giovanni Bernard. So I think he could take over some of those snaps from uh, Leonard Fournette. And then Ronald Jones basically is useless in the passing game. So I think Gio could handle most of that work. Um, the only concern with him is the Buccaneers don't really provide a ton of trailing game scripts that Gio needs. So that's why I think his ceiling is, is a bit capped. But we've seen in the past, you know, if Leo Fournette gets hurt or Ronald Jones gets hurt, he's more than capable of stepping in and, you know, being more of a workhorse back. So I think he's a sleeper that I think, you know, he's like RB 60 right now in PPR, far too low. If you're in a PPR format, you should stash him um, for his very high floor. Yeah. I've kind of made up my mind that he is going to play the exact role that Dare Agunbawale played. Like, I don't Uh think Bruce Arians has come out and said that uh, specifically, but if you just look at how he split up his backfield, in the 2019 season, Agumba Wale played uh, on about a third, a little, maybe 40% of the pass snaps and pretty much never carried the football, but he was out there on almost pretty much every third down, any hurry up, you know, two minute offense type of situation. And I think that's what you're going to see Bernard do because we know that Tom Brady wants that kind of receiving back out there, especially in this offense where they're sending everyone else deep. They only really have one outlet guy per drop back for Brady. And I think, you know, Leonard Fournette was a guy that he dumped down to a ton last year, but Leonard Fournette's not 
an ideal pass game back. He was just kind of playing that role because he was better at it than Jones. So, yeah, I think Bernard is, is really interesting. And the only thing that will hold him back is probably that schedule because Tampa Bay has a pretty soft schedule. So that, that is the one issue, but I think he'll still be out there for at least, you know, 35, 40% of the, the, the pass snap. So uh, it should, should be decent, some, some decent weeks for geo. Uh, I'm going to go a little bit off the map here uh, and go with Boston Scott. He's being drafted around running back 69. But when you look at all the reports out of Eagles camp, I mean, they're talking about this guy may actually have a, pretty even split with Miles Sanders. And there's just been a lot of uh, struggles with Sanders in terms of catching the football uh, drops, just not really uh, doing well in the passing game. He's drawn the ear of his coaches. So Scott is a guy that, you know, he kind of sets up as the passing down back by default. But the reason I like him is because he has other outs. Like he could actually, he has like an outside shot to be the, the number one back for Philadelphia. Remember, it's a new coaching regime. So Miles Sanders is as well as he, you know, as good of a moment as he's had at times over these past couple of years, this is the whole new coaching staff. So I, I like taking Boston Scott for free, uh, given the reports out of, out of Eagles camp. So uh, that's the PPR guy I'm going for, but uh, he's also pretty deep, but Samantha, who else you got when we talk about straight up deep sleepers, guys that are no people just aren't really thinking about, probably outside the top 50 um, that could return uh, startable value this year. Yeah, there's a bunch of guys in this range. As it stands right now, I kind of like JV and Hawkins at RB79. Mike Davis is the lead guy in Atlanta, but there's certainly room for Hawkins to step up into a more fantasy-relevant role this year. Davis finished his RB12 and half PPR last year when he stepped up um, when CMC was out, which is an absolutely phenomenal finish, but he did struggle down the stretch, which made some, including myself, kind of question his durability as a full-time feature back. I personally think, you know, we talked about the, I talked about the Falcons a little bit that I think that they will be leaning much more on the past, just given their game scripts, but there is a path for Hawkins to pay off at his paltry ADP, especially if Davis misses time. I mean, in this range, you're kind of thinking about handcuffs and stuff. And on that note, I like um, Darren Town Evans at RB62 and Chubba Hubbard at RB63 as just kind of high, high-valued handcuffs for guys that are going, you know, top three. Yeah, nobody's talking about Hubbard. I mean, this guy, he's behind McCaffrey here. And we saw Mike Davis come into a ton of value last year for that same reason. So I like that call a lot. Sean, who you got? Um, so I, I think a deep sleeper I like, especially after this first round of preseason games, um, is Larry Roundtree on the Chargers. Um, he, he has a way to go to <laughs> fancy relevance, but he has a path. Um, I mean, Justin Jackson might not even make the team. There's there's reports that, you know, he's on the roster bubble. Um, and then Joshua Kelly, uh, he doesn't really have a stranglehold on the number two job. Um, so Larry Roundtree could fit that role, that early down uh, role, possibly goal line back that Austin Eckler leaves the door open for that kind of role. So he has room for fancy value um, if he becomes the number two back. Um, and, you know, I, I don't like overreacting to small sample size, but we got to see him play against Rams this weekend. Yes, it was against backups, but he looked really good. Uh, eight rushes for six, three yards. I think that, you know, he has a way to go, but he could become the number two back sooner than later. And then the other two I like are both Dolphins backups, uh, Malcolm Brown and Salvin Ahmed. Um, you know, Raybon, I know you consider Miles Gaskin a frozen pond to your running back. I agree. 
I, I think that this Dolphins coaching staff, they proved that they're more than okay benching players um, when they struggle, like we saw with Tua last year. So uh, I don't think we can assume Gaskin's going to be the workhorse for all 17 games, even if he's healthy. And we even saw Malcolm Brown started the preseason game and Miles Gaskin played the second quarter with the backups. That's not a good sign. So I think investing in either one of these backups, I think, is the way to go because this is going to be a volatile situation. And this is going to be a good team that we kind of want shares of these running backs. So I think both are going like RB65 range. So I'm taking flyers on both these guys um, because this is going to be a very volatile backfield. And that's where you kind of get fancy gold. Yeah, I really like the Malcolm Brown call because he's another guy that you may get for free that may end up weeding his backfield in snaps because he did start the preseason game. And we saw this even with Malcolm Brown with Sean McVay, where we thought it was going to be that, you know, Daryl Henderson, Cam Akers backfield. And Malcolm Brown was factoring in a lot more than anyone had considered uh, even last year. So uh, coaches seem to love this guy. I mean, he's a very solid pass protector, good, you know, decent in the pass game, uh, good in short yardage, not really going to lose you yards. So uh, he could definitely be the kind of dark horse number one running back in Miami. Uh, you know, Miles Gaskin, remember, he was a day three pick who was pushed into action because of other guys being injured. So uh, it's not necessarily that Brian Flores is, is down on him or anything, but I don't think they ever – maybe envision Gaskin to have a truly featured role. So uh, I think it is worth taking a shot on Brown uh, who, and I like Ahmed too, but I do think, you know, Brown is going to play ahead of him. Uh, so I like Brown a lot. And another guy in that same vein, it's not sexy at all, but Philip Lindsay, I think Philip Lindsay is going to lead the Houston Texans in carries this year. If you follow you know, what they're doing in camp, uh, you know, all the reports have been that David Johnson's rushing role is going to be greatly reduced. He's going to be used for his pass catching ability. Uh, so essentially, Johnson's going to be the third down back. Lindsey, we know he's always struggled in the pass game. So it's not totally ideal for PPR, but you're probably getting a guy who gets double digit touches and leads the, his backfield and touches each and every week. Uh, and that's going to be Philip Lindsey. So uh, I like him as, uh, you know, at RB51. I think he he does give you enough startable weeks to make it worth it there. And, you know, I mean, his competition is a washed David Johnson and a washed Mark Ingram and a washed Rex Burkhead. So uh, there's a chance that Lindsay gets even more of a stranglehold of the backfield, especially in like the, you know, the few games that Houston actually ends up winning. Cause I don't think they'll go 0 and 17. So I do like Lindsay there. Another guy starter, you can probably get not for free, but almost for free outside that top 50. Let's move on to wide receivers, where I think sleepers are probably the most important at this position. So uh, we'll spend some time here. Samantha, I'll start with you. Who's a guy early, a little earlier in that, you know, 30 to 50 range, maybe that wide receiver three or four range that you think has some sleeper appeal? Yeah, I might be cheating since this guy is right outside, but I'm going to start with Robbie Anderson at wide receiver 31. So DJ Moore, who's currently going as 
wide receiver 18 is going to be the wide receiver one in this Panthers offense, but really don't count Anderson out completely. And I do like him at this ADP. He finished with 95 catches with over a thousand yards and three touchdowns last year. Good enough to finish his wide receiver 17 through 16 weeks. That's um, he's also got pretty much equivalent competition for targets on the depth chart. Now that Curtis Samuel is gone, but they drafted Terrace Marshall. Um, that said also Anderson has a, a good rapport and pre-existing relationship with uh, Sam Darnold, the Panthers new quarterback from their time together under Adam Gase, um, their chemistry and Anderson's upside, I think makes him worth the risk at the 31st receiver off the board. And then another guy that I like sort of in that 30 to 50 range is Michael Gallup. He has a lot of competition for targets on the Cowboys depth chart from CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper and even Blake Jarwin and uh, Ezekiel Elliott. But um, and yeah, he's like frequently the afterthought because he's just not like the sexy name like CeeDee Lamb. But he's a guy that I've ended up with a lot of shares of um, because he is the cheapest receiver on a high powered offense with Dak Prescott back. Uh, he's just like one, one season removed from an 1100 receiving yard year in 2019. Obviously I don't expect that kind of production barring, you know, like a major injury to Cooper lamb, which, you know, I'm not ruling entirely out of course, because like Cooper's ankle injury, which kept him on the pup for a lot of training camp is something that I think is worth monitoring. But even like with a fully healthy depth chart, I think that Gallup is worth the risk at his ADP of wide receiver 47. Yeah, if you like Dak Prescott and you like this Cowboy offense, I think it's only natural to to kind of trend toward Gallup for a discount, especially if you're loading up on Lamb and Cooper early because you kind of want that, you know, arbitrage opportunity uh, in your portfolio. And remember, Michael Gallup could very well lead the team in air yards because that's his forte. He's going to be, he's the the deepest receiver. He's going to run the deepest routes with, you know, Lamb and Cooper also on the field. They're more intermediate. Gallup can go deep. So, you know, if, if the targets kind of get a little mixed up in a given week, you know, there's Gallup's going to have some big weeks and you're not going to be able to prioritize him uh, in, in, in coverage. So I think that's a, that's a really good call. Sean, how about you guy in the, wide receiver three wide receiver four range that people are sleeping on yeah i'm doubling down on michael gallup here um he's a guy i love getting late in drafts now um you know i've been touting cd lamb all off season i think he's uh, you know probably worth his adp even at wide receiver 10 but he's really hard to get i mean the draft has to go a perfect way to land him right now so gallup's a guy that it's so easy to get you know in the mid to later rounds um, at wide receiver 45, I think is his latest ADP, but he's the cheapest way to invest in this um, Cowboys passing offense. You know, he was sort of the forgotten man last year, but you know, the, they've been in camp. They've been moving around the formation, lining him up in the slot. So I think he's going to see less, less of those low percentage routes and he could be kind of inheriting sort of the CD lamb role we saw last year. Um, so I think he's going to have a higher floor than people realize. I, th- I think he'll be a wide receiver three this year. But if, you know, Cooper or Lamb were to go down, he has wide receiver two upside. So I just love getting him later in the draft. You know, you're going to be stashing on your bench 
to start the season. But I think by the end of the year, you'll be plugging him in as a wide receiver three. This offense is too good to pass him up uh, later in the draft. And then I can't get away with not mentioning Mike Williams yet again in these wide receiver sleeper sections. Um, I love him at wide receiver 45. I think he's he's due for a breakout season this year. Um, so, uh, you know, almost every draft, I, if I can get him, I take him. Um, same thing as Michael Gallup. You're going to start him off on your bench. But by the end of the year, I think he's going to be a wide receiver two, three kind of value. Yeah, it's those air yards. Both of these guys have potential to get a good amount of air yards in a what should be a good offense, should be high volume pass offenses. So I do like those calls. I'm going to go with a guy who's been slipping, uh, and that's Corey Davis. Uh, He's actually at wide receiver 51 over the last week in fan ball, best ball drafts. So I think that's way too low for Davis. I, I get the uncertainty with the rookie quarterback and whatnot, but when I'm looking for guys in, in this range, I'm looking for straight out, straight up upside and kind of like what you guys talked about with the, you know, with Gallup and Williams, Corey Davis has a chance to lead the, his team in air yards. And he actually has a pretty good chance because Jamison Crowder, he'll get targets, but they're, they're going to come closer to the line of scrimmage. Uh, and then you have Elijah Moore, who you know is is starting to play outside, but still, and another guy I really like, but he's been banged up, missing some time in camp, and uh, he's another guy that played predominantly inside, so we don't necessarily expect him to have a, a lot, you know, a deep uh, air yard profile in his rookie year either. Uh, at tight end, I mean, Chris Herndon is still MIA. They might they might even start Tyler Croft, who is would probably pass block on a lot of. Uh, pass snaps anyway. So there's just a lot of opportunity for a, an alpha guy to emerge there. And Corey Davis, remember that one year with the Titans when he was just the lead guy and, you know, his target share and air yard share was, you know, in the upper 20s. And, and I think that's what you can kind of see here uh, with the Jets. So I, I just love kind of targeting these guys that, you know, they could get the air yard. That's kind of how you skip you know, kind of jump value here because all these guys are so close together in that wide receiver 30 to like 40, 45 range. You know, everyone will kind of split hairs and say you should take this guy over that guy or this other guy. But the bottom line is they all project within one or two points of each other. So the guys that are going to have the most upside are the guys that are are the guys that can just get a lot of yards and targets at once, a lot of uh, yards at once. And that's air yard guys. So I think Corey Davis can be that guy for the Jets. So like him at uh, at wide receiver number 51. Uh, we're going to spend a lot of time on wide receivers. And so we're going to actually go year by year here for a second. We're going to start with rookies and we're going to talk about, you know, year two guys, because those are the, the, the classic breakout candidates these days. So Samantha, starting with rookies, who do you think people are sleeping on in this 2021 draft class? Yeah, outside of the major names, uh, I'm going to give you two. So I'm going to start with Rondell Moore at wide receiver 70. So he's at least four deep on the Cardinals depth chart behind Hopkins, Green, Christian Kirk. But uh, the Cardinals do run the most wide uh, four wide receiver sets in the NFL, which I think could certainly open up some opportunities for the rookie wideout. Also worth mentioning that Green's not the most durable. I think he's 32 at this point. And I could definitely see more moving around on that depth chart as the season progresses. 
At his current ADP of wide receiver 71 and half PPR, he's a guy I'm willing to take a late round risk on. And then another guy that I like um, in the rookie class is Amon Ross St. Brown at wide receiver 76. Um, <laughs> wide receiver depth chart for the Lions is uh, in shambles with the departure of Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones this offseason. Um, you know, Brown is one of the only rookies that I think has a really clear path to becoming a team's wide receiver one this season. Yes. Now, yes, being a wide receiver one on a Jared Goff-led Lions offense isn't exactly the sexiest. And, you know, but all he has in terms of competition is Tyrell Williams and Brashad Perriman um, from the wide receiver course. So another guy that I'm definitely willing to take a risk on in deep leagues at wide receiver 76. Yeah, I, I mean, I'll, I'll talk more about St. Brown, so I'm not even going to get into it, but I, I just love that one. Uh, Sean, who you got as far as rookies you're expecting to provide some value? So I I laid out my wide receiver tiers last week that Terrence Marshall is the late round rookie receiver I'm targeting. And then he blew up in this first preseason game. So I'm worried his ADP might shoot up a bit, but I still think he's worth it. You know, um, he's played in uh, offense coordinator Joe Brady's offense before uh, back at LSU. So he's familiar with the scheme. Um, I think he'll fit in right away. And he's, you know, he's a monster. He's six foot three, 205 pounds. Um, DJ Moore or Robbie Anderson really haven't profiled as red zone, you know, targets. So I think that, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Terrence Marshall leads a team in receiving touchdowns this year. Um, he could start off, you know, either splitting time or behind David Moore to begin the season as a team's wide receiver three, but similar to Justin Jefferson last year, it's only a matter of time before he takes over permanently. And this offense, you know, they lost the number three receiver last year in Curtis Samuel. So there are targets to go around. Um, so I think Terrence Marshall is a great, um, you know, late round stash to put on your bench. Um, you, you're not going to be starting in week one, but, you know, by midseason, he could have like a mini Justin Jefferson type breakout. So I love taking him later in drafts. Yeah, I would think Marshall starts the year with a pretty strong role, but I really I want to go back to St. Brown because I really love him. Uh, on this D- Detroit team, because I don't even think he needs an injury to Williams or Perriman or anything like that. Like he's start, he's going to be the starting slot receiver on a team that really has no one else in the slot. He's a guy that I think could start to move outside because he's the best route runner on the team already. We're you know hearing that all throughout camp. Uh, that's what he was known for in school. Uh, he's been the guy that's been getting open. Goff loves to throw underneath. So the same reasons we like TJ Hawkinson to have a blow-up year, St. Brown is just like the cheap wide receiver version of that, where Perriman, Williams, these guys could run 100% of the routes, you know, and still be targeted like 12 to 15% of the time because they run a lot of deep routes. They're not necessarily creating a lot of separation. And they're going to have to create a lot of separation for Goff to trust his arm to trust himself to get that ball to them, especially in a new offense. You know, he doesn't really have chemistry with these guys. I think St. Brown ends the year as the most targeted Lions receiver. And I think he could be the most targeted Lions receiver in week one. So uh, again, another, just a guy with a a lot of upside in terms of being a, you know, a, a target hog right off the bat. And then, because the NFL is a passing league now, because teams are passing almost two thirds of the time these days, wide receivers are getting so many more reps in year one. And by year two, a lot of them are taking big jumps. Remember DJ Chark even a couple of years ago, kind of out of nowhere. So in that similar vein, Samantha, who are some guys you see kind of taking that big leap in year two 
this year? Yeah, so LaVisca Chanel at wide receiver 42. Uh, he's a guy that I was definitely pumping up a lot last year, which obviously didn't necessarily pan out. He finished as wide receiver 53 through 16 weeks, averaging 8.2 fantasy points and half PPR. But, you know, I don't think that that's a really fair representation. I'm not super convinced it was in the Jaguars' best interest to win games last year. They had a rotating cast of Gardner Minshew, Mike Lennon, Jake Luton under center. Trevor Lawrence is going to be a palpable upgrade above all of them for Chanel. Um, he's got a lot of competition for targets, for sure, from DJ Chark, Marvin Jones, and Travis Etienne. Um, but I could definitely see Chanel breaking out above Chark and Jones, especially with some of their durability issues. And then another guy that I like as a year two breakout candidate is Darnell Moody at wide receiver 51. He's definitely a popular sleeper this year, and he's probably one of my favorites. Um, he was subjected to what we can generously refer to as subpar QB play in, <laughs> in Chicago last season. Um, but what we did see of him was super encouraging. He was able to stretch the field. He got 61 passes for 631 yards and four touchdowns in a very anemic Bears offense. Um, Andy Dalton's going to be an upgrade from Foles and Trubisky for the passing game. And once they do switch to fields, I could definitely see Mooney having a real breakout season. Yeah, I like Darnell Mooney a lot. I think with uh, a different quarterback, there's a lot of upside for him. He was a guy that was, by the end of the year, he was on the field for 90% of the snaps. And he was there, that team's true number two target. And they, over guys like Jimmy Graham and Cole Komet uh, and obviously Anthony Miller. So uh, I think Mooney continues to build on that. And there's just, when you look at year two, there are just percentage increases. You know, it's generally in the 15 20% range in terms of per game numbers from year one to year two uh, on average for wide receivers. So that would be a, a nice little jump for, for Mooney here. Uh, Sean, how about you? Who are you looking at to break out in year two at wide receiver? Um, I, I think uh, Jerry Judy at ADP wide receiver 35, 35 right now, he sticks out like a sore thumb. I mean, he's inside my top 30 now. I keep moving him up, but um, you know, he ranked seventh in air yards last year. Um, as a rookie, he's a skilled route runner. Um, and he had three things go against him his rookie season, which I think led to the disappointing season. But number one, he had 13 drops. Those were his fault. I'm not, you know, <laughs> saying he wasn't to blame for those, but that isn't really a sticky stat year to year. So I think he's going to clean up the drops um, and those are going to convert into catches this year. Um, and then number two, he dealt with horrible QB play. I mean, he had a 65.5 uh, catchable uh, ball rate last year um, that ranked 37th out of 38 wide receivers that saw 100 plus targets. Um, he's going to get improved quarterback play from Drew Locke or Teddy Bridgewater this year. I, I'm almost certain about that. Um, and then number three, uh, he just had lousy touchdown luck. He was 0 for 7 on end zone targets last year. So I think um, he's due for some pretty massive positive touchdown regression. Um, all those three things can get combined. I think he's going to put together. Uh, a huge year. Um, and he's, you know, a no brainer year to leap in my opinion. Um, and then the other guy would be Gabe Davis. Um, you know, we saw him step up last year when John Brown was out. Um, but you know, the bills run a ton of four wide receiver formations. They ran the second most last year. So even if all four receivers are healthy, Gabe Davis should see playing time. And then he's one injury away from one of these three receivers from putting up, you know, wide receiver two, wide receiver three potential. So similar to Michael Gallup, I love investing in the cheapest option in a lethal passing attack, and that's Gabe Davis for the Bills. So he's another year two player uh, that I think can make a huge leap this year as well. 
I love Gabriel Davis. I think that there's a very decent shot that he just takes that John Brown role and it's not actually Emmanuel Sanders because if you watched when John Brown was hurt last year, Gabriel Davis would run 100% of the routes. He would be out there on every single snap. He would not come out of the game. And he was the guy that they put into that role. And now you have Sanders here, but he's on the wrong side of 30. You also have Beasley on the wrong side of 30. Uh, those guys are both underneath targets. I think Davis, because you're on, on most plays, you're going to want a guy to go down the field and, and take the pressure off digs in that you know intermediate area. So I think Davis has a chance to you know, be a 90% snap player from week one. And Sanders may be the guy that's in that, you know, 50 to 60 to 70 range, kind of keep him fresh uh, for the for the stretch run. Because this is another team that has their sights set deep into the postseason. So uh, I think Gabriel Davis is a great year two league candidate. He's a great best ball pick too, because the one thing about him is you may not be able to predict the weeks he goes off, but his average depth of target is 17. He uh, he's was top three on the team in red zone targets. So he's got a lot of ways to score fantasy points, and he should be on the field a ton. So I really like him. Uh, Marcus Callaway for the Saints, you know, coming into year two, really impressive last year in, in limited action. Now he's been playing so well that in the second half of the Saints game, he was in street clothes already. Like he was just treated like a veteran because that's how valuable he is at that wide receiver now with Michael Thomas. On the shelf, Traquan Smith has been banged up, but I think Callaway has a, a chance to be a air yard hog in the first half of the year, especially, but even down the stretch because he's competing with Adam Troutman at, at tight end. As he's not going to get air yards. Alvin Kamara will get a huge target share, but pretty much no air yards come out of that. They're just running back targets. Traquan Smith, he's always been a guy that has not really drawn a lot of targets per route run on the field. Uh, so there's a wide opening for uh, somebody to emerge and be a, a real big air yard guy, especially over the first half of the year when Thomas is, you know, still iffy. So uh, I like Callaway a lot. Wide receiver 70. I think he'll have value early in the year and, you know, you can drop him or whatever if, you know, things don't go right. But I have a hunch that he might, uh, he, he might stay on your roster all year. And then Henry Ruggs, you know, a guy I was high on last year. I was dead wrong on him, really struggled in year one, but, Derek Carr, we saw him, we've seen him improve within this Gruden offense. Henry Ruggs, you know, no COVID again. Another guy I think will benefit from a, a, an offseason, benefit from a year of being able to watch his tape. We saw Carr actually start to go down the field last year. It's just Nelson Aguilar ended up being the beneficiary. He's out of the picture now. There's a lot of hype around Brian Edwards, but Brian Edwards is a guy that's going to be tethered to the line of scrimmage. He's going to be a year two player playing his first real snaps. I think he's going to struggle to draw a high target rate, but I think Henry Ruggs is a guy that will move around, a guy that has speed, a guy that can use that speed at different levels and will be scheming the ball even more so. I think he really sets up for that huge uh, upside type of week year that, you know, some people like me included thought may even happen last year. So I uh, really like Henry Ruggs still going outside the top 50. Let's close the wide receiver segment with straight up, deep sleepers uh doesn't have to be a rookie doesn't have to be a year two guy but just somebody that maybe it's a best ball dart throw or a, another guy in a bad team who you're just looking at to to vastly outplay his his value samantha 
Yeah, I really liked Marquez Callaway, who you just mentioned in the last section. Um, I assumed you meant deep sleepers like guys outside the top 50. So Russell Gage is kind of on the high end of that. I think he could see an increased role with Julio Jones off to Tennessee in, in the Atlanta offense, which uh, you know I suspect will be throwing a lot. I don't expect consistent week-to-week production without a major injury to Calvin Ridley, but I think he's an interesting best ball target and got a target in deeper, deeper leagues as a bench stash. He finished as wide receiver 41 uh, last year through 16 weeks, and he's currently being drafted as wide receiver 60 and half PPR. Sean, how about you? Deep sleepers that wide out. So I think a best ball draft specifically deep sleeper guy is Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Um, you know, I put together best ball scores, which only takes useful scores for best ball. That's all you should care about. Straight up upside, baby. And no one's better than Marquez Valdez-Scantling. He finished number 31 at wide receiver last year in my best ball scores. And it makes sense. I mean, he's the main deep threat in this offense. Um, yes, Randall Cobb, Devin Funches, Amari Rogers could eat into the, the snaps for uh, Valdez-Scantling this year. But still, he's the main deep threat. Um, and I think, you know, he's going to be a great best ball guy. You can get him super cheap, um, but he's way more value than best ball. I wouldn't start him in a traditional, you know, head-to-head season-long league. So he's a best ball only kind of guy. And then you guys already mentioned him earlier, but Amon Ross St. Brown, um, he's the best Lions receiver, I think, uh, to invest in this year. Um, he's the kind of guy that Jared Goff loves Jared Goff loves the target. Um, you know, Tyrell Williams, Rashad Perryman kind of profile is more deep threat kind of guys. He doesn't like targeting those kind of wide receivers. So St. Brown's going to lie up in the slot. He could be his new Cooper Cup. So he's the guy that I'm willing to invest in. The Lions are going to be terrible. They're going to have plenty of negative game scripts. So I think St. Brown is a really sneaky pick in PPR formats. So I think that makes all three of us that name St. Brown in like a different segment <laughs> so yeah. far. But I, yeah, I mean, I think the Cooper Cup comparison is very uh, keen because that's one that I thought of as well, because I'm trying to look at like, okay, what's a realistic uh, expectation for a guy that, you know, didn't go on, you know, the first two days of the draft and is kind of coming into the league, but on a team that really needs him. And, And I said, oh, wait, there's kind of a precedent for this because he had Jared Goff, you know, coming, you know, coming to a new coaching staff, coming off a bad year, pretty much a whole new team. Uh, it, with that Rams team that first McVay year. And it was Cooper Cup to come out of nowhere. And uh, I think that was because of the type of routes he run and the type of player he is. And I think St. Brown can offer some similar, similarities there in terms of a guy that uh, can do a lot of work inside over the middle, runs crisp routes, can become like, the, you know, a quarterback's best friend. So, uh, I, you know, he's a guy, I mean, we're all talking him up, so he'll probably bust. Like we probably jinxed him. But uh, I, I really yeah, do but like, he won't kill you if you. Yeah, it's not gonna right. lose your season. So exactly, and that's what that's what's important about these guys. It's uh, you know the reason they're sleepers is because there's little risk to them. You just mm-hmm. people are sleeping on them. There's not really. It's not like you know like Saquon Barkley where yeah he could finish as the you know RB one or he could play five games or something like that. Like there's no risk with a lot of these guys and where you're drafting them. You should probably have your starting lineup set. Uh, by the time you're drafting most of these guys. So um, you just got to take shots on on upside here and you're not going to hit everyone, but uh, you start hitting, you hit a good amount of them and you're going to have a, a massive edge. Sometimes all it takes is one player more than, you know, the the you know second, third, fourth best team in your fantasy league. And, and that's enough. So I uh, hope some of these guys are are, are valuable to the, the listeners out there. We'll close it up with the, the tight end position and 
Samantha, let's start with guys going outside the top 10. It's a pretty volatile position. So I'm just going to say the top 10 because ADP kind of fluctuates almost daily, I, I feel like. And it depends on what site you're at. So after you get from like Logan Thomas and, and, and Fant and Goddard, it, it just, there's a huge, just like, it's just a toss up. So who do you like outside the top 10 as a sleeper at tight end? Yeah, Jono Smith was a guy that I was pumping up for sure, but he's got an ankle injury. Hunter Henry's also hurt, so I'm, I'm not even going to go down that path. Uh, Adam Troutman, who's a guy that I talked up last week in our tight ends podcast. He's tight end 17 on Fantasy Pros. Uh, I think he is he could definitely find himself inside the tight end one tier now that Michael Thomas is going to miss significant time recovering from an ankle injury. Traquan Smith is the obvious beneficiary in Mar um, Marquez Calloway uh, from the Thomas injury, but so is Troutman, especially with Jared Go Jared Cook gone. Um, you know, there's going to be less appeal for for Troutman if we see Hill uh, starting more games. But you know, with Winston favored to be the Week One starter, I think that's good news for all the New Orleans pass catchers. So I really like Troutman to finish as a tight end one. Adam Troutman. I, I mean, he he's like polarizing to me because I, I actually think he's still a year away. I just don't see the Saints, regardless of Winston or Taysom Hill, operating a high volume pass offense this year. I think, and that's why I'm kind of leaning toward Callaway as a sleeper because I think he gets the air yards. Um, Traquan could obviously get them too. I just think Callaway is a better player at this point, but um, we'll see how that shakes out with Troutman. I think I think this time next year he's gonna is when he's really gonna be uh, undervalued. Uh, this year I'm kind of torn on him because I just don't know if the opportunity will be there in in how I think well, the Saints are gonna even, play. Even if he's a year away, uh, he's gonna play a lot because they don't really have anybody else. So yeah, I mean that, that's the thing. They got like Nick Vanette, uh, you know, behind him was more of a blocking guy, so he'll be on the field. I just yeah. I just I'm not sure he'll uh, totally break out this year, but uh, Sean, who you got as a uh, deep sleeper? I mean, a, a regular sleeper at tight end. Uh, I, I'm sticking with Irv Smith as my guy outside of the top 12 that I think will be a, a tight end one. Um, you know, he's due for year three breakout anyway, but with Kyle Rudolph out of the picture, we already saw last year in the four games without Rudolph, he was a top five tight end. Um, the Vikings really operate a two wide receiver um, offense. So, Irv Smith is technically the wide receiver three in this offense. And, you know, I'm predicting Adam Thielen to see some, uh, you know, touchdown regression this year after scoring a career high 14 touchdowns. I think Irv Smith will benefit from that. I think he'll be um, sneak. He has sneaky touchdown upside, but also I think he has uh, the target share locked in um, as essentially the number three uh, receiver in this offense. So I love getting Irv Smith outside of the top 12 this year. Yeah, he's the guy that I think with tight ends, you see it a little more still in year three and that's another reason i say you know a guy like troutman cole Komet, got popular sleepers are still i think a year away but uh, i think this is the year where earth smith does make make a pretty big jump and and you hit the nail on the head he is that third receiver for them uh, they will not really play a a true number three receiver even half to snap some games so uh, it, that really does benefit smith who is coming along as a route runner, improving year over year. So I like him a lot. Uh, I'm going to go with some interesting uh, – I'm going to go with another interesting name because I, I think it's just – at this point in the tight end, um, when I'm looking at tight ends, I'm looking for guys that I can see get high volume. And, and there's really a couple of guys that are 
everyone's really, really down on based on what happened last year that because tight end is so ugly and it's just, it's just such a toss up. I'm starting to target these guys a little more than I thought I would. And I'll save one for the deep sleepers, but uh, for this segment, I'll go with Evan Ingram. Uh, he's going around tight end 17. And remember, this is a guy that was being drafted as a top five or six tight end uh, over the years, even with Saquon Barkley there on the team. And now, you know, he has a bad year, ton of drops, you know, obviously his fault, just like Jerry Judy, but still a guy who didn't run you know, lower than 77% uh, of the routes for, you know, at tight end last year for this team, Kyle Rudolph, we don't know when he's coming back. He hasn't really been able to practice at all. Uh, he's been on the shelf. They just lost uh, Levine Toy Lolo. So they might not be able to go with, you know, a, a lot of as many subs for Ingram as they want to. I think he'll still run a ton of routes. And I actually think, you know, the return of Barkley and the signing of Galladay, it helps a guy like Evan Ingram because now he's not the focus of the defense as much uh, it's similar to kind of Sterling Shepard, I think, when he's on the field. Like those guys are are a lot better when they can operate. Is is not the true focus of the defense. So uh, we've seen Evan Ingram do it before. Uh, we're taking a lot. There's a lot of guys that are just kind of a toss up in this range. So uh, I'm going with the upside of Ingram, who I think can bounce back and, and have a, a decent season. And he just runs a ton of routes, and that's hard to replace at tight end because you see a lot of regression to the mean year over year. These, you know, it's like in terms of their targets per route, in terms of their touchdown, uh, you know, catches per uh, per reception. So Evan Ingram, when all said and done, he, he projects out as still a borderline top twelve option for me. So uh, I'm going with Ingram as my uh, as my my immediate sleeper at tight end. But let's finish it up with the the deep deep sleepers. Uh, Samantha, who's the tight end you like outside the top twenty? It's going to be Dawson Knox. So, Sean, to your point, I think this is when you spoke about Gabriel Davis. It's a, a cheap way to invest in a high-powered offense. Um, and, you know, to even your point, Chris, if you believe in the year three breakout, it could definitely happen for Knox, um, you know, barring a major trade. I know there was talk earlier this offseason of Zach Ertz going there, but he is, um, you know, a number one tight end in this Buffalo offense. He's going to compete sort of with Jacob Hollister on the depth chart, but I certainly like him to finish higher than his ADP, which is tight end 36 on fantasy pros. Uh, Sean, how about you? Who do you like as a deep sleeper or deep sleepers at tight end? I like Hayden Hurst at tight end 27. Now, obviously the Falcons drafting Kyle Pitts was a massive, massive blow to his value. However, He's still a first-round talent. He's 28 years old. He knows the offense. I mean, with Julio Jones out of the picture and Arthur Smith taking over, we could see more two tight end formations. So Hurst might see playing time alongside Kyle Pitts. They might line Kyle Pitts up in the slot. Either way, I think, you know, Hayden Hurst will still get some playing time. Um, so he could provide, you know, some value week to week and, you know, deeper tight end premium type formats. And if for whatever reason, if Kyle Pitts struggles, which I don't see happening, or misses time, which could happen, Hayden Hurst has already shown that he's a tight end one slash tight end two kind of player. So I think that, you know, just getting him this cheap kind of reminds me of getting Dallas Goddard for the past couple seasons as sort of like an upside bench stash. But either way, uh, you know, Hayden Hurst at tight end 27, I think he's way undervalued there um, for a bunch of different reasons, but love getting him there. Yeah, he's interesting because I think people just immediately writing 
writing him off because of Kyle Pitts. But remember, Kyle Pitts can play a lot of receivers, and Hayden yep. Hurst is probably one of the like the Falcons' optimal lineup. Probably contains Hayden Hurst on the field a bunch of snaps, just because they are a little thin at that you know last receiver spot after uh, Russell Gage. So at that third receiver spot, so I, I think that's an interesting one, especially for a team that. Uh, like Samantha, you said this this might be a team that has a lot of passing game scripts uh, this year. So I think Hurst is interesting. I'm going with a guy again. This guy has done it before, and we're just way down on him after last season. There's a lot of uncertainty around him, but I I just think like at this point you have to buy him because if he's traded, he's probably going to be traded to a situation where he's still the starting tight end. Uh, if he remains on the Eagles, I think there's still a very good chance that he uh, is on the field even more than Dallas Goddard. So last year he did struggle, but Carson Wentz also struggled a ton. Um, tight ends don't necessarily fall off a cliff in terms of aging the way like some big body wide receivers do as they get up there in age. So I think we're just kind of looking at Zach Ertz like, oh, he's washed now. But I think Carson Wentz had a lot to do with it. This is a new coaching regime. Ertz has reportedly looked uh, like the old Zach Ertz in camp. And uh, I just think there's a lot of upside getting a guy that, you know, just a year ago we were taken as a consensus top five tight end uh, at tight end 25. Again, this is, this is a position that's tough to predict. It's tough to find value. Everyone's kind of projects close together. So I'm going after, I'm buying low on a guy like this who we've seen do it year in, year out. Uh, and, and, and even last year, just, you know, the targets were still decent. It's just, you know, the catch rate was abysmal. Uh, the drops, you know, had some drops, had some Wentz issues, some uncatchable balls. So just a lot went wrong last year for that whole Eagles offense. But like Zach Ertz at tight end number 25. All right. That uh, that was a good episode, guys. That will do it for us. Thanks, everyone, for listening to us every season. And again, we've got this new feed, the Fantasy Flex. So please write a review for the pod. Please subscribe. It helps us a ton. And uh, Samantha, tell everybody where they can find you. You can find me on Twitter mostly at Samantha NFL. I'm also on TikTok and Instagram at Esperviti. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Always bring great insights. And uh, you guys can find Sean on Twitter at the underscore oddsmaker and me on Twitter at Chris Raybon. Be sure to check out actionnetwork.com for all of our fantasy content, those roundtables that Samantha mentioned, and our fantasy draft tool where you could load up Sean and my projections into your league settings and get your custom cheat sheets and all that good stuff. Uh, Also, be sure to download the award-winning Action Network app. Until next time, let's get this money.